0: We have a lot to be thankful for, church. You know, as I was sitting, I, I kind of spent most of the day here today. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe I have enough time to go home. But we had, you know, the noon service. And then you know, I was sitting in my office just thinking about all the things that we have to be thankful for. You know, probably none of us, if we go home, we're going to open our cupboards and are truly going to be bare. I mean, it may be scarce in there, but... You know, we, we here in this country think that think that's bare is we don't have any ribeyes left, you know. It's kind of like, at times. I realize people at times are struggling, and so I don't want to carry that analogy too far. But we have so much to be thankful for. We, we ought to be thankful for our, our very lives that we're able to be here. Thankful that we live in this country because there is no place like this We live in the most wonderful place on earth. And in fact, if you talk to most people around the world, we live in the most wonderful part of the most wonderful place on the planet earth. That's that's why there's millions of us here. (laughs) Everybody wants to be here. Even in our difficulties, we have it better than almost everyone else on the planet. We have a lot to be thankful for. And so tonight we're going to take a little trip, a little journey through the Word of God, and I want to begin this way. If you'd turn to 1 Thessalonians, the book that we're going to attend to next on Sunday mornings, we're going to jump to chapter 5, verse 18, but I want you to see the the stage that is set by the Apostle Paul, because it begins in verse 16 by saying, Rejoice always. Now, in order for you to rejoice, you actually have to have gladness in your heart, you have to be saying in, in yourself that I'm, I'm thankful for what's going on. That's what rejoicing is. Now, we can't say that everything that happens to us is circumstantially good. Cancer is not circumstantially good. Car accidents are not circumstantially good. If your house burns to the ground, that's not circumstantially good. But that's not what's in view here. It says to us as believers, thinking about who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ, we are to rejoice always. Why? Because by grace and through faith, we've been saved. Amen? We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have been given a relationship with the very God that has created us by nothing that we ourselves have actually done. We were given a gift of faith, that faith bearing grace into our lives through the sacrifice that Christ made on Calvary's cross has made us right with God. And for that reason, we can rejoice. And so he says, pray without ceasing. Don't forget to talk to God constantly and always. And then our Theme verse for tonight. And in everything, give thanks. In everything. In the good times, the bad times, the difficulties and trials, the wonderful things that we have in our lives, the dry and dusty times, the fruitful times, the abundant times, the lean times the times when you've got it all together and the times when you can't find the parts to put together. In everything, what's in view is our whole life. And there's a reason for it. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is literally God's will that we be thankful people. Because God himself is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we in him are always recipients of his character, which is goodness. If you turn now to the 107th Psalm. As you look at these verses, I want to link these together for us tonight. As we have this amazing, wonderful holiday. You know, when you travel around the world, it's kind of a weird thing because we're the only country on earth that has Thanksgiving as a national holiday. The reason being is because it's unique to America. It's part of our history. But when you travel to the rest of the world, you tell people, ah, we're getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, they're, they're like, thanks What? Thanks, why? Thanks, who? Why would you do that? It is uniquely American, and it is actually founded as uniquely Christian. Notice what it says here in verse 1, verses 8 and 9, and verse 22. I'm going to look at a little bit of Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. In other words, be thankful. Have a thankful heart, a thankful attitude towards the Lord. Why? We're told. For he is good. Now, family, I recognize that there are some here tonight that your life seems right now to not be good. Things in your life seem to not be good. But I want you to notice the focus here. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good even when things are not. God is incapable of being anything other than good. Even when he doles out justice, when he meets out punishment, when he allows bad things into the lives of good people, God himself is never not good. He's always good. He's good in every season of our lives. And so there's a reason to give thanks because God is always good. That's why that promise of Romans 8.28 actually works. You see, it wouldn't work if God wasn't good. Because God couldn't work all things together for the good, for those who love him, and are the ones who are called according to his purposes. God couldn't do that unless God was 100% of the time good. God doesn't wake up and have bad days. He doesn't, yeah, praise the Lord, amen, because I give him some reasons to have bad days every once in a while. Oh, Jeff, I'm going to get you. Some people still think that way, but God is incapable of being anything other than good. So even in the circumstances in our lives that seem like maybe God stopped being good to you, he hasn't. He hasn't dropped you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't disrespected you. He hasn't said, well, I'm good to everybody except. God is good. And notice where it goes from here. For his mercy endures forever. One of the ways that we know God is good is that his mercy, which is him not giving us what we've earned or what we deserve, which is not good, amen? What we've earned is not good, but in his mercy, he gives us goodness. He still loves us. Even when things come into our lives that we would say, well, that was kind of not good. God gave us those things in his goodness. And he's merciful. He's not willing that any should perish. So we all got grace in his goodness, amen? We all got forgiveness in his goodness, amen? We get his providence in our lives because of his goodness, amen? That's his care that you don't merit. I don't merit. We don't deserve. Sometimes when you travel to other places of the world. It's almost as if God's blessings have been uniquely upon our country. But when you talk to people who live in nations other than here, even impoverished nations who know the Lord, they'll still tell you God is good. They'll look you in the eye and say, God is good. They're inside of their tuple hut in Africa, God is good. That slum in the middle of Sao Paulo, Brazil, God is still good. In that hospital room, God is still good. That day when you've gotten your pink slip, God is still good. Because behind all of that is a good God who is always good. For his mercy endures forever. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. This is really a proclamation. The psalmist is reminding us, look, it's our duty, it's our obligation, really, to thank God for his goodness. Have you ever thought what this world would look like if God for a second took his goodness out of it? If he decided some morning and he could do such a thing and he woke up and he said, You know what? I'm just really tired of being good. And so I'm going to remove my hands of goodness from this world. Can you imagine if it was left up to us? You see, through sin, there is evil in the world, but it didn't come from God. He's good. And the reason that sin hasn't taken the whole world over yet is because he's good. His mercy endures forever. Oh, that men would give thanks to God for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God has been wonderful, God has prospered mankind. When you see what evil does in the world, my good friend Victor Marx is was in Iraq last week. And if you're following him on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, you know he's he's in the middle of, of the most war torn parts of Mosul where ISIS has a stronghold. And the things that they have endured for the last nearly two weeks is enough to make the strongest man cry. Children just brutalized. Horrible. The leaders that they met with, one of them after the meeting, they're trying to solve this crisis of all these Christians and non-Muslims that are being slaughtered. And one of the Two Islamic leaders that met with them was flying away from the the compound that they met in, and he was shot by a sniper. He's dead. A man that's trying to fix the problem was brutally murdered. And what Victor sent me was a photo, and was a photo of about two hundred, maybe three hundred kids that had all been rescued because of that one guy who's no longer with us. And the kids started shouting, God is good. Because they realized that even in bad things, there was still a good God doing good things even in bad times. We have our own issues here in our country. You could say, man, is God really good? Brothers and sisters, God is good. And one day the whole world is going to know the fullness of his goodness. But for us, we should be telling people that God is good. That should be something that comes from our lips frequently and often. God is good, amen? all the time God is good it's a truth it's not something that we do once a year on Thanksgiving it's not when we all of a sudden get thankful for his many benefits for the wondrous things that he has done should we count them they would be more numerous than the sands of the sea God is always good And we as the body of Christ need to make sure the world sees a good God. We need to live lives that are thanksgiving and praise. For he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul, notice this, with goodness. That's what happens to someone who longs for who God is. Searches for who God really is. Because when you find God, you're going to find goodness. When you search for Him, when you long for Him, you're not going to find some mean ogre. You're going to find a good God who has always loved you, who's always cared for you, who is brokenhearted over what touches you that hurts, who has great desire Have you ever wondered why Jesus made that statement? When he said, Look, do not you, as mere humans, know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more so will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to his own kids? It's because he's good. He's not going to give you a stone when you need bread. He's not going to give you a scorpion. He's good. Now, you may go through things. I may go through things. We may have stuff that when we look at it, it's like, well, I'm not sure God is good. You have to resort to that default setting that says God is good. God is good. And then you can sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. You can say, Look, Lord, whatever it is, I'll put it on the altar, but I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to declare your works, it says there in verse 22, with rejoicing. When somebody asks you about what God's doing in your life, do you tell them with rejoicing in your heart, God is good? Or do you say, well, you know, I think he kind of forgot where I was at this week. I'm not sure he really knows what's going on in my life. He seems to be doing good for everyone else. If that's the way you feel, you remember who God is. He's good. And he can be no other way. And by way of example... We have an event that took place, you know, now we sit out for almost 400 years later. When the pilgrims landed in Plymouth, they landed with thanksgiving. But when you look back historically, those hundred or so pilgrims, crammed into a boat about 120 feet long with animals and seed and enough water and food and all those kind of things to come across the North Sea. By the way, some of the most inhospitable uh, ocean on the planet Earth. Very normal at the time that they traveled in the fall for the seas to be 20 and 30 feet tall. Now, if you've never been out in 20 or 30-foot seas, The ceiling in this room is less than 40 feet. That means the rolling waves, a 100-foot boat, which is half of the width of this room, would have been halfway up one side and would have got to the top, and over half the boat would have been hanging over the top of that wave and slamming down the other side. That's not a pleasant journey. What's the first thing they do when they get here? They pull out onto the shore and they have a prayer meeting. They sign the Mayflower Compact which begins in the name of God. And they say amen. They begin in the name of God. So be it. Yes and amen to what follows having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, they came to these shores in spite of all the naysayers. Their basic reason for coming here was the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Did they do everything right? No. Did they take advantage of Native Americans? Yes, at times. Not trying to politicize it. But their intent was to come here to glorify God. Very clear in the Mayflower Compact. William Bratsford, who became the governor, describing their thankfulness, said this. He said, being thus arrived at Good Harbor, brought safe to land, they fell on their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all of the perils and the miseries thereof, small boat, lots of people, and animals. Bad idea. To set again their feet on firm and stable earth. That's how they began. In four months half of them were dead. Half of them were gone. They died in the very first winter here. In the following year, another 50% of those that were left died. Do some simple math. How many are left? About 30. It was after that first year that they celebrated Thanksgiving. It was after the first year. After half of them died the first winter, and another half of those who did survive died the following year from starvation. It's such an incredible story when you think about it, because uh, a Native American named Samoset, who kind of surprised the, the pilgrims by coming to their little encampment and speaking to them in English had returned from being taken captive by slave traders and shipped off to Spain and then to England where he learns English and now he's back on the shores of America and he has a story that's almost like Joseph in Egypt because it's this Native American who was displaced from his land taken by slave traders, sold into captivity, taken to Spain, who goes to England, who learns English, who comes back and teaches the pilgrims how to do farming. And it is those who should have hated them the most who actually helped them the most. And later the chief of his own people, Massasoit, comes and the tribe arrives and they've been invited to this feast and they bring deer and turkeys and everything else. Edward Winslow, who was leading them by that time, said our harvest had been brought in. Our governor set forth men out on a turkey hunt. And after that we gathered together together that we might enjoy the fruits of our labor. And they said, God be praised, for we had a good increase of corn, and by the goodness of God, we are far from want. God is good. You see, they viewed God as being good, even though God had allowed some things that none of us would want. They saw the goodness of the Lord. And so for us tonight, you know, many of us are going to have a huge family gathering tomorrow. We'll gather together with our family and with our friends, and we'll set out a spread. It's always too much food. It's always things we shouldn't eat. I mean, what isn't better with gravy? And What is gravy but cholesterol? and as we gather together we are tempted sometimes to go well you know the turkey's dry the pie is flat I hate green beans it's not about that stuff it's about the fact that God is good Amen? Now, most of us hope our turkey is nice and moist. Most of us pray, you know, that the stuffing isn't dry. All oh, say, so, you know, it, it, that, that's okay. So I'm not disrespecting anyone's desire for a wonderful meal. All that effort and stuff that goes into it. But that's not, if if you walk away from it, and all you had was, you know, the relish tray with the olives that the little kids put on the end of their fingers. Anybody else do that? God's still good, even if you have a tofurkey. God is still good. I actually had somebody send me a picture of a tofurkey, and it was—it literally was this blob of tofu that had been carved into a into a turkey, and you know, and it had, you know, everything on it, even the looked like drumsticks and stuff. And I'm like, that's still not going to make it taste good. <laughs> we have our things, but God is good. And we should be worshiping the Lord because of it. Notice what it says. This is the will of God. You see, we can't come into God's presence unless we're in the Spirit. Because those who worship Him, worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Amen? What's the truth about God? God is good. You can't come into God's presence and go, Well, I don't think you're good anymore. I don't really want to even praise you right now. And yet sometimes we do. We even come to church. We haven't really come to worship him. We haven't come to thank him. We've kind of come to complain. It's like, Lord. And I just simply want to challenge you in a very loving way. Come to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. When you come to his house, yes, your issues didn't go away when you came through the door. But when you get here, try giving him thanks. Praising him. Saying, Lord, I don't get what's going on right now. But I believe who you say you are. And you are good. The book of Job, which, you know... Most of us, when you, you begin to read the book of Job, you get to about chapter 3 and you go, man, this is the most depressing book ever. It's like his wife is like disrespecting him, his friends are giving him bad advice. It's, like, it's horrible in that sense. But Job says something in chapter 1 that should carry you all the way to the end. And it says there in verse 21 of Job 1, and he said, and you all know the story, Job's life has come undone. God brags about him. Satan bags on him. Job is completely devastated. His family is gone. His fortune is gone. His fame is gone. He's a mess. But he says, look, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave. The Lord's taken away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Why could he say that? How could he possibly say that? He has literally lost everything. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why could he say that? Because he knew God is good. He had no doubt in his mind about God's goodness. As much as he was questioning some of the things that God allowed... I don't believe Job lost sight of the fact that God is good. And I believe in faith he's waiting to see that goodness. And he sees the goodness of the Lord so much so that he says, I believe that I am going to stand on this earth and see my Savior face to face. I'm going to see God in the flesh. God is good. And so he worships the Lord. He doesn't charge God with wrong. He doesn't You know, say, Lord, why? You know, our why questions are legitimate questions. I don't want to ever bring condemnation on anyone who asks God why. I've asked God some why things. But the real question is really not why, it's what. Because if God is good, the why actually doesn't matter. Because he's going to do something with it. Because he's good. And so he's going to take the why question and turn it into a what has he done question in our lives with it. What what is happening to me? Even the difficult things. You see what happens then is all of those things in our lives begin to flow back to him in worship. We're in awe of the fact that God is always good. I I've had some of the closest times of my entire life in hospital rooms. Not understanding fully what the Lord was doing at the time, but resting and trusting that somehow, because I know the character of my God, that this is going to work out for the good, because there's a good God that's either allowed it or caused it. And so you go vertical. You you turn to the Lord because you begin to have a thankful attitude about it. And you you begin to say, Lord, I want to praise you in this. I want to pass this test. We become consumed with who he is. Then we stop asking so much and we start praising. We start losing ourselves in, in who God is. I was talking with a couple of guys that just got back from from Indonesia. And they're in a, you know, it's a totally Muslim world there. That's tough. It's hard to do ministry. And they had this most idiotic grins on their face. God is good. People are getting saved. I was just talking to Pastor Bob Caldwell, who... Who started Send Hope that we support our, our missions team. We built the church in India. It was part of the ministry that they began. It's some of the most destitute places on earth. People praising the Lord, going, God is good. I think we here can do a better job of saying God is good. We, we can honor the Lord by worshiping him for his goodness. It almost us, you know, think about it for a second. When you worship the Lord, what comes in goes out. When you acknowledge who God is, what he's done for you doesn't stay in you. You can't wait to give it to somebody. You remember your salvation experience? Because for most of us, you, you give your life to Christ and you can't wait to tell somebody about it. Yeah, I gave my life to Jesus. Because you realize God is good. You, you are saved. That same thing should affect every corner of our life. It really is an attitude of, of Gratitude. It's an attitude, it's an internal thing that affects our external world. David's an example of that. Psalm 63 kind of reminds us, if you want to turn there, the first four verses. It, It is an attitude that we have that ultimately transforms the way we think and act. Thanksgiving does that. Someone who, like David, can worship the Lord in thankful adoration. Just like, Lord, I love you. It says there in verse 1, O God, you are my God. And early I will seek you. And my soul thirsts for you, and my flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land. Man, look, this world that we live in is a dry and thirsty land most of the time, amen? There's a lot of things that kind of suck the spiritual moisture right out of us. But that shouldn't transform us. It should transfix us. The dry and the thirstiness should get our eyes on heaven, not transform us into beef jerky for the Lord. Amen? You know, that's how you make beef jerky. You suck all the moisture out of meat. A lot of Christians are like that. We get so focused on the heat of the fire that we just kind of dry up. Instead of transfixing ourselves on heaven, we get transformed by the dryness. That dry and thirsty land, there's no water. To see your power and your glory so as I have seen you in the sanctuary because your loving kindness is better than life. Your goodness, Lord, born out in action, that loving kindness to me. That's God's love mixed with action. That's what loving kindness is. That might even be the definition of real goodness and thanksgiving. My lips shall praise you, and thus I will bless you while I live and lift up my hands to your name. When I was a teenager, I was in the Boy Scouts. Each council of the Boy Scouts, which it's kind of getting lost because the Boy Scouts has just been assaulted by some of the ridiculous demands that have been put on them. But back then, it was some of the most blessed time I spent as a young person. But in San Diego, one of the signature hikes, because every council's got one, was called the Camelback Hike, and it was because it included most of the mountains in eastern San Diego County, the Cuyamaca Mountains, the Cleveland National Forest. And it began in the Borrego Desert, and then eventually ended up at a scout camp called Matagwai. But we would, we would start in the desert, and the first leg of that 30-mile hike was across the floor of one of the hotter places in California. And our scoutmaster used to always tell us, "Make sure you have a bunch of water. Bring two, three canteens, fill them up cuz it's a long ways." And I'm thinking long ways, uh, maybe 4 or 5 miles. He didn't tell us it's the whole first day. It was a dry and a thirsty land. And we're not rejoicing. Nelson Gerhardt went on everybody's hate list. It's like, why did you bring us out here? To kill us or what? And he kept saying constantly, well, you know, there's water. It's just over the rise, it's in the next canyon. You're almost there. You know, it's kind of like dad in the car it's over the next hill. And I remember coming over this little rise and looking down, and you could see that there was, you know, the old-fashioned windmills that you see with the four legs and the spinny thing up there on top, the windmills going, and I'm like, oh, that must be where the water is. And all of a sudden, your pace picks up. You know, you're getting, you're like dying. Your teeth are stuck together from no saliva in your mouth. And you get about 100 yards away, and you look, and it's a stinking cow trough. It is green. It is the grossest thing you can possibly imagine. But somehow when you got next to it, it instantaneously transformed into the Shekinah glory of God. (laughs) Because it was wet. It was water. And as you pushed the green moss back there underneath it, was nice, cool, clear water. You see, we live in an environment that can suck the joy and the thanksgiving right out of us because it's hot and it's dry and it's dusty. But the Lord is like that trough, hidden underneath what seems to be a horrible existence is this beautiful, fresh, ever-flowing spring of the water of life. And you take your canteen and plunge that thing underneath there and you watch the bubbles come up and you pull it out and it just, it's cold and you drink that back and you fill up another one. You see, we can be thankful because on every dry day, there's a spring of life that wells up in us as believers. God is always good. And though the journey seems too far, and though you might even get there and go, man, (laughs) that's not what I was waiting for. We still need to have thankfulness. And I'll tell you what, water never tasted so good and looked so terrible at the same time. Sometimes life's like that. But were we thankful for it? Oh, my goodness, yes. For the next three or four miles until we got to where we were going to spend the first night, we're all like, man, wasn't that awesome? There was water in there, and we're not dead. Sometimes you've got to boil your life down to the more simple fact that God loves you and He has taken care of you in spite of the fact it didn't look the way you wanted it to look. Maybe it didn't sound the way you wanted it to sound. Maybe it isn't the way you think it should be. But he is good, even in a dry and a thirsty land. You see, it's attitudinal. It's internal. You've got to have the right perspective. You need to see things from God's perspective. He loves you. He loves us. And we have much to be thankful for. You when you take his perspective, you begin to see things from a very different place. Thankfulness is is so important. Back in the Old Testament days, think on this for a second, it's crazy, but they actually appointed people to the office of giving thanks. It's like you're a professional God-thanker. So if they were gonna go to war, you had somebody who thanked God for the victory before it was ever there. They thanked God for everything. They thanked God for the priest. They thanked God for the provision. Before they ever had any of those things, they had someone stop and say, in the office of thanksgiving, I am going to thank God for the provision we haven't even seen yet. I wonder if sometimes we're not kind of lost and don't need to get back to having the office of thanksgiving in our own lives. Be professional God-thankers. Thanksgiving is so essential that we're not even supposed to come into his his presence without thanksgiving in our hearts. That's what worship is. It's like, God, we love you. We thank you. If I want to be in his presence, that's a place of thanksgiving. Because that's who he is. He's good. How can I not thank him? In very much a reverse sense. When we were studying Romans 1 some months ago, one of the signs of somebody who doesn't even know the Lord is they're unthankful. That's a sign of of somebody who doesn't know God. Because someone who really knows God is thankful. You see, there are attitudes of heart that transform the way we live our lives. Jesus himself throughout all four Gospels, is seen he himself. Now remember, he's God incarnate in human flesh. But he's actually thanking his Father. He picks up the loaves, and he thanks God for the loaves. You know, when Jesus was tempted, he actually could have done what Satan asked of him. Command these stones to be turned to bread. Jesus could have done that. But he didn't. He showed us that we need to have a heart of thanksgiving and let God be God. Let God give us what we need. And thank him for it. Thankfulness is, is so much a part of who we are. We're actually commanded to be thankful there in the, hundred, in the 50th Psalm. It, it's not an option. We're supposed to say, God, you did this. You're good. Thank you. Daniel is a perfect example of somebody who is obedient to thank God even when it was going to cost him something. Remember in Daniel chapter 6 what Daniel does? He's forbidden from thanking God. and What, is, what does he do? Well, I'm going to thank him anyway. Throws open the window of his house, prays towards Jerusalem. i to thank God. Under the threat of death. Can you imagine if every Christian on the face of the earth under the threat of death would thank God? I wonder what our prayer lives would actually look like if we did that. It's part of us getting close to the Lord. We have to enter into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. That's how we get there. I know we've all had times where you come into the house of the Lord and you're like, because I can spot it. It's like, wow. I need to pray, because that person does not want to be here. You can kind of see there's something going on. Something's something's really got underneath their skin. It's not praise and thanksgiving. Matter of fact, we probably don't want to know what it is, but it's not praise and thanksgiving. So we need to thank the Lord. We need to thank him no matter what's going on. You see, if we think on these things, what happens is we draw near. We get close. And when you're close, you get better information, don't you? Think about it this way. Who do you think has better information? The person who's actually out on the battlefield or somebody who gets a communication about what's going on in the battlefield. It's the person who's on the battlefield, amen? They see it from the perspective of the battle. You see, for us, very often, we're relying on someone else to be thankful for us. We need to get into the battle and be thankful ourselves. It's like, Lord, I want to experience this whole thing. If you ever get a chance to do some sailing on a good Santa Ana day here off off our coast, and you get out there five, ten miles or so, about where Catalina sits off the coast. And, and you get one of those strong south winds, and you throw a spinnaker up. And sometimes you've got to lay off it because the wind is so filled in the sails, it'll actually put the bow of your boat underneath the water. It's like you're being driven along. But if you turn around and go against the wind, you're going to sit out there for two days and go nowhere. Thanksgiving is like that. Thanksgiving, when it fills your life, powers you. It powers you along. It keeps you going. But when you start going against the character and the nature of God, when you turn against the wind, you just sit there and bob up and down. And most people, that kind of is when you get seasick. It's when you get tired of stuff. You want to go with where the Spirit's going, and that's in thanksgiving to God. We thank him no matter what's going on. How do we do it? Audibly, we praise him. Every kind of worship you can imagine. In song, just with joy in our hearts. Loving God. We do it with prayer. So many people, we, we ask God a lot of things, right? Right? But do you thank him before you ask him, or do you thank him if he fills your request? Hear what I just said. Do you thank him before you ask him, or do you thank him only if he fills your request? Thank him before you ask him. That's a thanksgiving heart. That's a heart that says, God, if I'm messed up here, I want what you want. So I want you to give me what is your desire and I'm thanking you for what you do before you ever do it. That's exactly the way we're supposed to live our lives. That's how you have that, that First Timothy principle of godliness with contentment that's great gain. That's someone who's thanking God. You're like, Lord, I know you know what you're doing. So I'm thanking you right now before I ever see the results. That's a thankful heart. And by the way, that's exactly what you're going to be doing for eternity, so it's a good thing to start now. So when we say, in everything give thanks, you start to come to some pretty incredible realizations. The same God that created the immense universe that we're spinning around in, created you. He's so majestic that he could do that, but he's so personal that he loves you. You specifically. That he cares for you. He cares for all the little tiny details of your life. You see, when you think of it that way, you are thankful that the God who created the stars is not impersonal. He's personal. He wants to touch you and love on you. He's he's, In that sense, Jesus is a human God, a God of flesh and bone that you could touch. He is the true and the only living. He's Emmanuel. He's personal. You start to recognize those things. You ever thought about what it was like when Jesus was on the earth? He's God incarnate in human flesh. He's wandering around and people are asking him all kinds of questions. Ask him to heal and touch and not once do we have recorded in any gospel when someone came with a legitimate request he didn't fulfill all of the Pharisees things because they asked for a sign and he said I'm not giving you one. But when people came with legitimate needs the Lord of glory touched them. You're the same the Lord of glory touches you, touches me, touches us. So from the bread we eat to the stars that we look at when you are at your table tomorrow whether that bread on your table is white or wheat or withered whether you have to you know, back clean up on the turkey thing There's not much left. We still have an amazingly good God. And we should thank him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for keeping track of us, God, in all of our journeys on this earth. Lord, you never lose us. You never forsake us. Your eyes always on us. You see every sparrow. You certainly see your own children. And so, God, we thank you for that goodness, or we thank you for the blessings that we have. But we also thank you for the challenges that we endure. Lord, the problems that we go through, the difficult things that mold us and shape us and put us into a crucible where you can do some extra work on us. Lord, we thank you when you take the clay off the potter's wheel and put it back into a ball and slam it back down on that wheel and start to do the work over, Lord. We just thank you. We thank you for the bread on our table. And we thank you for the stars in the sky and everything in between. We thank you for our families. Thank you for this country. Thank you for our city, Lord thank you that most of us drove here tonight. We didn't have to walk. We thank you that water comes out of our tap and we don't have to hike five miles to get it. We thank you that you're good and your mercy endures forever. And so Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts and with praise on our lips, we say thanks. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. We just, amen.